0: This is Asha Voices, I'm JD Gray. You may be seeing a sometimes contentious element of contracts in the news. Non-compete agreements prohibit employees, audiologists, and SLPs from working for competitors. The agreements are often based around parameters of time, location, and setting. One might say something like an SLP can't work at another private practice within 25 miles for the duration of a year after leaving their accepted position. Earlier this year, the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, recommended eliminating non-compete agreements, claiming they decrease competition. In recent years, several states have banned the agreements, and New York's proposed ban is awaiting the governor's signature. But many employers feel they are necessary. They say these agreements protect their business and intellectual property. In the spring, ASHA conducted a large poll over non-compete agreements. It's worth mentioning that this data may not be an exact reflection of ASHA's membership due to self Selection, but with nearly 1,000 participants from audiology and speech-language pathology, and with more than 60 pages of comments, this data offers a large swath of insights into many members' experiences. Some ASHA members are in favor of the band and others oppose it. This episode is designed to provide context around the issue and resources listeners can use as they await the FTC decision. Throughout this episode, we'll hear from ASHA members voicing the perspectives of employees, employers, and clients. We're joined by Caroline Bergner, a member of ASHA's Government Affairs and Public Policy team. Along with other members of that team, she's been preparing resources for ASHA members, employees, and employers related to non-compete agreements. Caroline joins us now to provide greater context on what may or may not be changing with non-compete agreements, and we'll talk about what employees and employers can do to protect their interests. Caroline, welcome to ASHA Voices.
1: Thanks so much, GD. Great to be here.
0: Well, let's start here. Is this the end of non-compete agreements?
1: Well, I wouldn't go that far yet, JD, but um, as you alluded to in the introduction, the FTC had a proposed rule that came out this spring that would strongly limit the use of these agreements going forward across all different kinds of business contract agreements. In addition, many states are following suit, seeing the FTC's proposed rule and changing their laws to meet that. Additionally, there is federal legislation that is out, hasn't passed yet, has not been signed into law, but mimics the same kind of spirit of the proposed rule that would limit the use of these across settings.
0: What I'm hearing you say is there's quite a bit of momentum behind this, but you have to check state by state about whether or not any limitations have been set up in your area.
1: Exactly. And right now, every state is very different in the way that they handle these non-compete agreements. You will see some states say that you know you can have a non-compete agreement as long as it is not completely unreasonable. However, you are seeing, on average, that agreements that are less than two years are more likely to be enforced in states where non-compete agreements are allowed. And then in other states, none are allowed that are greater than six months, and they must be limited to a geographic radius of two miles or one mile from the location of original employment.
0: 20% is a number that's mentioned pretty often in these conversations. That's the percentage approximately of workers the FTC is saying are entered into non-compete agreements we may not know the exact number of ASHA members who are in non-compete agreements, but many CSD professionals are in these agreements. Recently, ASHA conducted a large poll on this subject and received nearly 1,000 responses with about 60 pages of comments. What can we learn from those responses?
1: Well, we can learn that ASHA has members on both sides of this issue. We have folks who strongly believe in the merit of non-compete agreements to protect their businesses. And then we also have people on the other side of the agreement that really feel like these kinds of contract stipulations limit their ability to practice, limit their mobility within the state and even across state lines, and really ultimately change the course of their lives and their employment. All that said, ASHA is really focusing on the best way to serve our members that are on both sides of this issue by empowering them with information about what these agreements could look like, how they might encounter them, and what are the pros and cons of using them from both the employee and employer side.
0: I understand, too, there are new resources available on ASHA's website. We have the link to those from the blog post for this episode. That'll be at on.asha.org slash podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about the employee, the employer, and the client's perspective in this episode, and we'll hear from ASHA members. Let's start with the employee. W- what are you hearing from employees about non-compete agreements?
1: So you really see the gamut of types of non-compete agreements, and then you also see the gamut of people's reactions to them. Employees mostly have a negative reaction to them from what we've seen. Uh, lots of employees have felt like they have not been able to explore other career opportunities because of their non-compete agreement that they've signed with their primary and current employer. Some employees would like to start their own businesses after having worked in a small private practice for some time and are not able to do that because it would require them moving out of their current area of employment.
0: Caroline went on to mention the many other ways employees say they feel limited by the agreements, including limitations over whether or not they can work in a similar setting or within the same region. And the employees say this can prevent them from pursuing higher pay, either with a new position or salary negotiation.
1: The other thing that was a very common theme that we saw, especially from employees in the educational setting, I should say, was that a lot of the time. Folks will be contracted to work in the schools and the school would pursue them for a permanent placement within the school setting where they've been working as a contractor and they were not able to pursue that opportunity because of the non compete agreement that they had. Many of them felt that was unfair and that they were not being afforded the full range of options that they should have as a career professional and it was very frustrating for them. Some also expressed serious concerns with their abilities to, to move for familial or personal reasons. Some of them had families that they couldn't move because of schools, and so they felt locked into a particular employment agreement because they couldn't move far enough to get away outside of their non-compete restrictions.
0: I also spoke with a member and they shared a story with me. The members choosing to remain anonymous a number of years ago, the audiologist had entered into a three-year non-compete agreement. And after working there for four or five years, she tells me she left the private practice. Not long after she left, she was interested in picking up some part-time work and her former employer would not allow it. So soon she was in this legal battle. She tells me she spent approximately $15,000 in pursuit of a part-time job. And not only can that be intimidating, but it seems there's also an emotional side to this story, too. These were people that gave her a chance early in her career who she worked with closely. And then just like that, she was in a contentious legal battle with them. This is it's kind of an emotional and expensive type of litigation that employees could face if they try to get help, in, in some cases, when when faced with these non-compete agreements.
1: Absolutely. Many of our members are not deeply steeped in the legal system and this is new information for them when they're trying to navigate potentially a job change and then being reminded of a situation in their contract with their employer that they hadn't even really either understood fully or even really thought about in the many years of their work with a particular agency or organization it can be expensive if they are litigated i would absolutely agree with that feedback
0: what kind of resources have you and your team developed around employees for when they're considering to accept a non-compete agreement?
1: We've really been trying to think about this from both a new employee, someone that may be early in their career and may not be as familiar with the many different ways that their particular job choice might affect their employment going forward, and people later on in their career who might be a little bit more seasoned and able to kind of navigate those and feel more comfortable really questioning the terms of a contract. So in terms of the, the resources that we've put together, we've really tried to give people different topics that they should consider as they're examining their employment contract.
0: Is it possible to negotiate these non-compete agreements?
1: Absolutely. It's definitely possible to negotiate. When you're signing any contract, you should always think about whether this is the best agreement for you as the person signing it. Um, I will say that some people who are offering these employment agreements are more open to negotiation than others. On the flip side, some people feel more empowered to negotiate as the employee than others might. We encountered a lot of feedback from early career professionals who thought that they were not able to negotiate in their contract when it was offered to them or did not feel that they were able to do that.
0: Find a full summary of items audiologists and SLPs may want to consider during contract negotiations, including what you might ask for during those negotiations. They're a part of the recent resources, Caroline and other members of ASH's government affairs and public policy team prepared to support Asha members. Find links on the blog post for this episode at onashaorg podcast. And if you're already in a non-compete agreement and wondering what to do, Caroline says you can always ask your employer to renegotiate your contract. She notes that they may or may not allow you to do that. Speaking of employers, let's turn our attention that way now. In Ash's poll I mentioned earlier in this episode, just over 50% of those identifying as employers said they used non-compete agreements. And Caroline notes, employers who responded to the poll universally say they use the agreements to protect their businesses.
1: Many cited concerns with employees taking their, the names of their clients and taking the clients themselves and opening another practice in the same area. Other employers that, for example, the situation I cited earlier with a contracting agency that worked with schools, in that situation, many employers who are those contracting agency owners said, I worked hard to develop the relationships with the schools. I found the therapist. I did all of the legwork to get that therapist placed and trained. So, for them to turn around and poach my employee that they are contracted with to become an in house um, full time employee of the school district takes away from my business because I've invested a lot of time into the employee. We saw lots of folks who invested time into their employees in terms of training or even education. We, we had to, an example of one person that we actually cover in in our resources who paid for two audiology degrees, and both people, after finishing their audiology degrees, immediately left the practice. So they had completely lost out on all the money and time that they had invested into that person, all of the training hours, and those people went on to open rival practices in a close area.
0: I've also heard concerns that in a smaller geographic area, if there are too many similar practices that maybe it would be difficult for all of them to stay open.
1: Absolutely. If you have an area that is saturated by many professionals, it definitely takes away from the possibility of getting new clients and folks might not necessarily see your practice stand out in a sea of competing practices.
0: This is the perfect time to bring in the voice of someone else I spoke with. I spoke with an SLP named Julie Pratt. And since we're talking about geography, uh, I think this is a good time to hear from her. Julie has worked as an employee in many settings as an SLP. And now she owns a private practice in Michigan, employing SLPs and occupational therapists and physical therapists. She says in the beginning, they didn't use a non-compete agreement in their contracts.
2: We live in a fairly small community with not a lot of practices. And so for us, initially didn't seem like an issue. It became an issue over time when we did have some employees who worked for us for several years that we mentored through graduate programs, et cetera. And then without the non-compete in their contract, they did end up leaving our clinic, opening a clinic within a, its walking distance from our current clinic.
0: She says they solicited patients, took employees, and materials, intellectual content. Julie says when that happened, it didn't hurt her business significantly, but after that, they added a non-compete agreement. The agreement prevents people from creating a similar practice, a competitor, nearby.
2: So We're a private practice, and if someone wants to work in a hospital, that really isn't competition to us, doesn't take business from us, doesn't put us at risk doesn't cost us anything. It just allows for an employee to continue working. And so we do allow that. The only thing that our current non-compete does is prohibit someone who is working for us to leave and within a small proximity from our clinic to be able to start or initiate a program that is the same as ours.
0: Remember when she said she lived in a fairly small community, the geography is important here.
2: I think that first and foremost, I'm a clinician and then I'm a business owner and in counties where the population is large and there's several practices and there's tons of kids to be served and tons of clients, adults, patients to be served, then I think it's most important that there's enough practices and enough facilities to serve that, right? I don't by any means want to keep all of the business for one person. I think in a large city where the population is higher and there are multiple practices, I would feel less
1: compelled to have a non-compete.
0: So this is sort of similar to what you were saying earlier.
1: Absolutely. That feedback is definitely not singular. Julia is one of many voices that we heard on that topic. I will say that most employers were not trying to unnecessarily restrict the practice of the folks who are working for them? They were trying to protect their business. For example, by and large, the employers, when we asked them, do you enforce the non compete agreements? Yes, always was only 36% of the responses. 46.7% of the responses said yes, sometimes. So we found that employers were willing to either let the non compete agreement not be enforced or had specific parameters around it.
0: You know, I actually spoke with an SLP who can speak to this about waiving the non-compete agreement. So Robin Cratchman, she's a past president of the New Jersey Speech Language Hearing Association. You may have heard her on this podcast before talking about workplace productivity. She worked for a really large private practice for about 25 years. And in her role there, she'll have hiring, interviewing, personnel related work. So she's very familiar with non-compete agreements. She told me a a few stories about SLPs leaving the practice and situations where they decided to waive or not enforce the non compete. So this is Robin.
3: There are times when a patient needs a particular therapist who has an area of specialization, whether it's that they speak a specific language that this patient may speak, a non-English speaking patient, or they have a particular specialty area that need someone with more expertise in that area.
0: Her words highlight the need for finding a balance between keeping a private practice competitive and also making sure that the patients or clients don't suffer in any way from lack of care. Here's a specific example. She told me about an SLP who worked at the private practice and specialized in pediatric feeding. Robin says after several years, that SLP moved to a practice that had specialization in pediatric feeding. This is Robin again.
3: There was one particular patient on her caseload with a severity such that it really was in the best interest of this patient to be able to continue with that therapist, even though she was leaving us. The therapist and I had a conversation about it, and we allowed her, we waived the non-compete clause for that particular patient so that that patient could follow her to the other practice and continue with uninterrupted
0: services. Throughout her call, Robin voiced the importance of taking the client or patient's perspective and needs into consideration.
3: The bottom line is that anybody who owns a practice, of course, must consider the bottom line, but I don't think any of us go into this because we wanna make a lot of money. We go into this because we want to help people and we are ethically bound to provide the best services. And there are going to be times when the best interest of the patient may not be in the best short-term financial benefit to the practice, but it's our ethical responsibility to make sure that each patient is well taken care of and when a situation like that occurs, if there's going to be an interruption in services, or if a comparably skilled therapist can't be found within that work setting, then allowing that patient to move with their therapist who leaves is just in the patient's best interest.
0: So I think that really exemplifies, these are some of those situations that might be yes, sometimes that maybe for a specific patient or client, the non-compete can be waived.
1: That is definitely true. And that is absolutely the feedback that we got. We did get some folks who felt that they were universally enforceable and they had to go all the way for each client. But I would say most of the people who responded to the survey from the employer perspective had that posture.
0: Tell me a little bit more about what employers are saying. Uh, What are their other concerns?
1: So one of the other things that we heard from folks is the cost of running a business is very high. There are a lot of hidden costs that many practitioners don't anticipate um, from the employee perspective. For example, we heard back from one individual who said, as an entrepreneur, they built their practice from the ground up with thousands of hours and dollars of marketing and building relationships with the clients and with the community. It was very frustrating for them to contemplate someone leaving the practice, taking the time that they invested into that person, and also the resources that they created as part of their business, not to mention the marketing aspect, which does cost tons of money with them without having done all of that hard work.
0: I'm thinking about what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, changes in state policy or in federal policy that may affect these non-compete agreements. What can employers be doing now to prepare for the possibility that these agreements may become void, changed, or limited in the future?
1: If you continue to want to use something like a non-compete agreement to protect your business, we recommend, number one, meeting with a small business attorney that would help you navigate the laws of your specific state at this time. We also recommend that you think of the minimum standard necessary to protect your business. Six months is a much shorter timeframe than in excess of two years. So, you want to think strategically about how you can structure the agreements that you have to be both enforceable for what you've written, but also to protect your business. We also would encourage you to explore our alternatives to non competing agreements resource page that we've put together, some of the other available contractual provisions that would help you navigate this would be clauses like clawback clauses, which in the case that one of your employees leave after you having invested a great deal of education or training into them, they can essentially buy out their contract with you. They can essentially pay you back for the time that and the money that you've invested in them and then they are free to go on and exit the contractual agreement that they have with you. Another example would be a non-solicitation agreement. So that would take the place potentially of a non-compete agreement. And what that would look like would be that the person would agree not to take any clients with them and not to solicit any clients from your client base or from your marketing materials such that your client base would be protected if they left and you would not run the risk of having your agreement not enforceable.
0: Non-solicit agreements, uh, clawbacks, there's information about these on the ASHA resources that were just recently published. We'll put a link to it on the blog post of this episode at on.asha.org podcast. I believe you can also read about NDAs, non-disclosure agreements.
1: Yes, non-disclosure agreements would also help. And what they would look like would be asking folks to sign an agreement that they would not take confidential information from your practice and then use it to either open a new practice or use it in the course of their employment elsewhere.
0: We've talked about how this may be a changing landscape, that there seems to be momentum moving against non-compete agreements in the future with regards to either the FTC proposal or other legislation. What's next?
1: As of right now, the FTC is set to vote on the new proposed rule in the spring of 2024. While I mentioned earlier, there hasn't been any federal legislation finalized on the topic. I would not take that as a sign that it will not happen in the future. I would also anticipate that if the proposed rule is voted on and finalized, that there will be significant legal challenges in the courts. Many folks have said that the FTC has exceeded their authority in putting out such a restrictive rule. However, employees and employers should still be aware as they both develop and sign contractual agreements, that there may be limitations on these going forward and explore other options that may protect their business and also help their employees at the same time.
0: Caroline, thank you so much for your time.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, JD.
0: One more note before we go, Caroline adds that whether you're an employee or employer, you may want to consider asking an attorney for input on a legal agreement before signing it. Find cost-effective resources related to this on our website. Links to those resources are at on.ashr.org podcast while you're on the asha leader website check out the recent article caroline wrote it provides greater insight into the ongoing policy challenges to non-compete agreements and you'll learn more about the asha poll results we discussed earlier in this episode find that article at leader.pubs.asha.org asha voices is produced by the american speech language hearing association and comes from the team behind the asha leader magazine i'm jd gray and this is asha voices